This is the Laravel News Podcast, your one-stop podcast to find out about Laravel-related news, tutorials, packages, and more. Here are your hosts, Jake Bennett and Michael Dorenda. Hey everyone, welcome back to Laravel News Podcast. This is episode 105. We've got a little bit of a shorter episode for you here today. We've got 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 12 items. And um, we're going to get through them and we're going to enjoy it. And it's going to be awesome because we've got some good it's ones. It's going to be awesome. I, th- I yeah. like that each Laravel News episode is an educational episode, not only because we bring you the latest news and packages and tutorials, but also because each week, Jake will teach us to count from 1 through 10 and sometimes 12 and sometimes 15. Uno, dos, hold on. What's it? Uno, dos, tres, cuatro, cinco, seis, siete, ocho, nueve, diez, once, doce. There you right? go. Is that it? And in multiple languages. You... Uno, dos, tres, cuatro, cinco, seis, siete, ocho, nueve, dieci, un dieci, dos, cinco? Cinco? Uno, dos. Well, when, you, when you're cinco? speaking in cinco? Italian, it is. Cinque. Ah. Italian? That's is that Italian? Study? Is that Italian right there? Yeah, do, I yeah. Know oh. a, do I know how to count in Italian as well now? No, see, I can see. I've taught Eli to, to to count to ten in like four languages. I don't think he can even do it in English yet. So, how do you say it in German? You got to know German. Eins, zwei, eins, zwei, drei, fünf, vier, sechs, sieben, acht, nine, ten. Okay, there we go. <laughs> oh my word! This is the Sesame Street of podcasts. It, it, look, us outside of the United States tend to be a little bit more multilingual. You, it's true. Did you you would you wouldn't have learned another language in school, would you? Uh, I learned Spanish. Okay, so you, so Spanish yeah. is fairly common throughout. Like, because I know in in California and that they they certainly do because they have a, a a big Hispanic population. But I I didn't know if that was common throughout the United States. Yeah, I think foreign language is like a requirement. So I think okay. most and so like my kids are both in Spanish. Like they're in you know mm-hmm. first they start in kindergarten. So yeah, so yeah, yeah. cool. You know, right. basic basic stuff of course like they learn how to count and they learn like little vocabulary words and then yeah. kind of like by the time you get to junior high high school i think you can kind of pick so you can do like you either spanish or you could do french or you could do mm-hmm. different stuff you know yeah so. i think even like at childcare, eli's doing they do mandarin they do spanish oh, really? and i think they do Ooh, that sounds uh, cool. uh i think they might do some aboriginal like indigenous oh that's but, cool yeah so like, they get him into it pretty early and it's like easy to learn the languages when you're at that age, obviously. I had a I had a friend yesterday and they were saying that they've got friends that are Russian and they the, the parents were born in Russia, so they've got an accent and they said to the parents when they had their child, don't teach him English at home because when he grows up and then they go to school, they're going to have a really bad like Russian English accent. Mm, so this poor kid went to you know, started school and didn't speak any English because he just spoke in Russian at home the whole time. Oh, wow. Man, that's tough. <laughs> but I bet he speaks perfect Russian and perfect English. Yeah, but like in the long run, you'll end up, you know, learning English from people that right. are native English speakers. So then, you know, you'll grow up having an, a native English ac- or, you know, Australian accent. So. so it was funny, man, people, those of you who are listening, thanks for sticking with us. This is just kind of like catch up time here. So I went to France once and the people who had learned, so like everybody who spoke English spoke it with a 
to me, English or British accent, right? Well, it's because mm-hmm. the people who they learned English from yeah, were British people, right? Because they're in France, obviously. So I thought that was funny because I was like, yep. oh, they speak English, but they, I mean, they do, they speak English, but like all the idiomatic expressions and all that stuff were also French or uh, yeah. British. So yeah, it's funny. Hmm. Anyway, I digress. Shall we jump in? We shall. It is episode 105. Here we go. Starting at the very top and it's actually at the bottom because it's in uh sort descending. So here we go. Laravel news t-shirt. So I do not actually have one of these. I do have a Laravel news t-shirt and you happen to be wearing one right now, but it is one of the new ones. So back in 2015, uh, Eric Barnes, one of our favorite people, ever uh, had a custom lettering commissioned for a t-shirt and so this is one of eric's all-time favorites and this model is now available again for purchase at made in production which you can find in madeinproduction.com so the story behind this is phil sturgeon is biking across like the entire globe practically pretty much and one of the things he's doing while he's uh, doing that is keeping a biking journal, but he's also planting like a lot of trees, raising money to plant trees um, to mm-hmm. help cut down on like uh, carbon, not, I mean, not to cut down on carbon emissions, but to like help take care of the greenhouse gases and the environment and whatnot. And so this is one of the uh, things that he had made this made in production site, which essentially sells swag and t-shirts and whatnot um, related to people who are in the development world. And so Matt Stauffer and Eric, Eric Barnes purchased it. Yeah, purchased it from him for a bunch of trees is what he said. So basically, they donated a lot of money to buy trees. And so now Matt and Eric run Made in Production. So they're putting this new throwback Laravel News shirt on there, uh, which is a Bella Canvas unisex premium t-shirt. And you can get it for 24 bucks at madeinproduction.com. Check it out. And and just on the whole buying trees thing, if you go to offset.earth slash Laravel, you can contribute to the laravel group that is part of this process as well um and it's helping towards um re reforestation so where you know obviously trees are, are, are cut down willy-nilly this this project aims to basically through money that people donate plant a tree so for every you know you can go in there you can for a, a fee obviously donate money um you can then purchase some trees um, so I think we've got about 12,500 trees at the moment. 12, 25 trees will set you back $6 US. Works out to be about half a ton of carbon dioxide emissions removed. So uh, definitely check that out if you want to contribute, um, obviously, to the longevity of our home, Mother Earth. Very cool. All right. Uh, next on the list, we have got... Well, let's. I mean, do we want to be strategic about this at all? Maybe we do. Let's do the we've releases. We've got 6.2. Yeah, we've got 6.2 and we've got 6.3. Um, and 6.4. So in, uh, yep, we do. There it is. I see it right up there. Uh, okay, so why don't you take 6.2 for us since I took the Laravel t-shirt stuff. Sure. The Laravel team released version 6.2 with a new password confirmation flow for logged in users and a callable container objects. So the container call now supports callable objects, which basically allows you to I, I guess put in a a function into a into the container. So rather than having to you know have a class and you can instantiate a class out of the container, you can now just pop a uh, callable in there. So a closure. That is my guess. That's what this is. <laughs> I was trying callable, to figure this out myself. Or, a, or an invocable, sorry, invocable class. There you go. So not a not a not a closure, but a if you've got a container, if you've got a 
class that has an invoke method, the underscore underscore invoke, you can use that to swap out or you can call that directly from the container. So like for me, like I, I'm, I'm with you on this. Whenever I hear, well, and when I looked at, when I saw this, it said callable objects. That's exactly what I think of as like an anonymous function, right? Like a closure. Mm-hmm. But yeah, in this case, it looks like what they have is they actually have like a class that returns, uh, or sorry, that has an invoke method and then it just returns something, right? So yeah. So then what you can do is you can just say container call and then pass the name of the class in. Yeah. Um, I'm. I mean, I'm not necessarily sure what the use case is for it. The the pull request I, I, I'm with to you. add this functionality right, is light. It's you know here's the support to do this. And basically, what you can do is just app call new call me. For example, like if you had a class called call me, which had an invoke method, and then you can do the the container uh, injection, you know, resolution of dependencies and things like that, and then call oh, it directly. That's interesting. Okay. 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 That's interesting, actually. So you can use you can use the container to resolve the dependencies. Yeah. Yeah. And now that we talk about this, last year, Adam Wathen, I think it was last year or maybe it was the year before, his Laracon talk, he talked about instead of doing functions, you can use these callable objects and then you can swap them out in your test much easier. But you've got to new them up and then you've got to do, you know, parentheses, new object, close parentheses, and then open close parentheses to call it whereas this looks a little cleaner because you can just do app uh, use the app helper app paren paren call new call me and it will do that all for you so it looks a little cleaner um than than doing the whole bracketed thing just to invoke a object as a function mm-hmm. yeah i'd still have to look at the pr to get some context around like yeah. what the, the specific the use PR is very light if if yarek tkachik who submitted this pull request is listening to the podcast. I'd love if he had, or if anyone, anyone listening to this episode has some context or some thoughts about where you might use this functionality. That would be enlightening. Indeed it would. Okay. Uh, what else we got? We got this partial mock convenience method as well. Uh, you want to talk about that? So previously, you, if you wanted to do a, a partial mock, you'd use mockery. So you do um, this instance... Then you'd pass the the concrete, or sorry, the abstract class rather. Then the second parameter, you go mockery mock, and then you could basically do your partial mock in there. It's just basically cleaning up the syntax. So instead of doing all of that, you can just do this partial mock in your tests, um, and just to remove a whole lot of boilerplate and extra keystrokes for the sake of keystrokes. Indeed, uh, it's funny too because like every time we go through this stuff, and more now that like the the basic things that are kind of all already done like a lot of the low-hanging fruit for the for laravel stuff is like all things done are getting now. tricky yeah yeah they are they get like very um and you know maybe that exposes some of my ignorance that's okay i'm okay with that i'm comfortable yeah. i'm comfortable with it uh, i'm not i'm not exactly sure to be completely honest what the difference between a partial mock and just a mock is i don't i don't know so i'm not sure a, exactly what's the, a what's the mock difference yeah a mock you can only call the methods that you explicitly define right? So if you say that you're going to have a class and then you say class, uh, you mock the class and you say should receive this method um, once and return blah. Mm-hmm. If anything yeah. in your test calls any other method that is not yeah, yeah, part yeah. of that mock, the test will fail because it's a, a method has been called that doesn't exist on the mock. Whereas if you do a partial mock, right, it will mock that specific method and then everything else would pass through to the underlying function. 
So if you're Beautiful. only wanting to, so for example, if you're wanting to make an API request inside like a client library or something like that, you could mock the the method that is responsible for calling out to the remote API, but everything else would handle. So you could say, you know, sh- should receive send request once and return an array of whatever. And then everything else that, like a fixture. that handles yeah. that, yeah, basically every, everything else that works with that data would work as normal through the underlying class without having to mock out every single method that's called in the chain. So that's, oh, that's, that's awesome. the, the main difference between a, a mock and a, and a partial mock. So a partial mock almost like it just kind of like lays on top of the existing class and just replaces that one particular method. Yeah. Yeah, very cool. Which is a bit cleaner awesome. than Thanks. having to obviously, you know, New up another, every or have single another class. Method you're call. Yeah. Well, not only that, but then to have another class that extends from the base class and then swapping it out. So the mocking basically allows you to shortcut that whole process. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm wondering if like if that's the way because sometimes like the only reason why I have like a secondary like the only reason why I have like a contract and then like a secondary one is like so I can swap it in at testing for, time, out of, yeah. you know out for testing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. so this is actually this would save you some. Mm. extraneous classes that I could just kind of yeah. call this little I mean, you would find. still mock the container, uh, the, the contract, right? Because you would be injecting that dependency. So you would do this mock, whatever the contract class is. You'll find, I've, I typically find that if I'm mocking a concrete class that I that is not being resolved from the container, then it never actually gets called that mock. It could be just because I'm doing mm. something wrong mocking is a dark art if you ask me and wherever possible i try and avoid it but i've had no choice recently but to mock some things because i'm testing remote api calls which you know you don't want to hit a remote api during a unit test but that's a that's a whole other part you know you should listen to the base code podcast that i think the the next episode jmac and uh, jess archer they're going to talk about mocking so definitely check that out we'll link it up in the show notes awesome we will do we can we could talk about this other stuff, uh, but we shall move on. And if my AirPods die, I apologize. Anybody who's listening live, which is probably no one, but that's okay. I'll have to swap them out. So let's hit 6.3. So the Ray Cache driver in 6.3 now supports locking. So previous to this, the only times that you could use cache locking was if you were using Memcached or Redis. Uh, so Tim McDonald uh, pushed in this pull request, which allows array cache locking. So this is a big win for testing your locks. So you can mm-hmm. check that out in pull request 3025, or actually 3253. The next piece is that the framework's resets passwords trait has a new set user password method that you can override on the password reset. I would assume this would be something like if you wanted to set them a default password or something like that. Like if you wanted or to set if you wanted to set a password then. somewhere else that's not in a database model. Like if you're using uh, a remote, like a SAML, like you've been playing with, if you want to set the password. Ooh, oh in my, a... Those that SAML stuff's hot, by the way. It's super cool. <laughs> I, I was very seriously. I was very like, eh, not not a big fan. But now that we're doing it, yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, pretty cool. And once you get it set up and running, you don't have to worry about it. Yeah, for sure. Exactly. I don't have to handle any of that stuff. So that's nice. Um, Okay, next, the morph pivot relationship now fires the deleting and deleted events, which it did not before. And now it does. So if you're using morph pivot, and you need to listen to for those events. Now you can Uh, a whole list of features and updates will be in the show notes. Okay, that's 6.3. We've got 6.4. One more release. Michael, you want to talk about with that one for us? Yeah. So 6.4, the first thing that came in was a password reset security fix. 
the fix basically throttles users to only creating one password reset record every 60 seconds, which prevents attackers from submitting many password requests that will flood users' emails. Um, you can look at the details of that in the show notes. Next, we've got a missing method being added to the re- request class. So you can use, instead of doing a, a not, you know, an inverse check on request has, you can just do request missing. Um, and sometimes you see these things and you wonder, how did we, you know, how, how has Laravel been around so long before these things have been introduced? Because they just seem so simple when you look at them. Next, the pipes getter in the pipeline class has been added so that you can use that instead of calling the pipes property directly and allows for more dynamic pipelines. And lastly, a Mm. new assert created convenience method enables you to assert for a 201 response status code. So if you're using Laravel's eloquent resources, if you return a model, Laravel will automatically return a 200 or a 201 depending on whether you're returning an existing model or if you're returning a freshly created model. So in your test, you previously had to do a response assert status and then pass a 201, whereas now you can just do a response assert created. So just, again, adding those little convenience helpers to simplify and and make more readable our our code. Uh, But that is all of the things in 6.4. Have you used these pipelines ever? No, not, not for anything really. I, I had a use case for I it just started a few years it. ago before they existed and we kind of built up our own thing built on top of Laravel jobs, but I've had no cause to use it more recently. Yeah, I'm going to have to take a look at this one because we literally just started implementing this, just started using this and um, it's been really nice and it's already saved us a ton of time because we had we before we had one big class that just had a bunch of like methods on it that would do these different pieces mm-hmm. and i was like this is going to get out of control really fast and so what we did is we broke up all those particular little methods into their own classes their own little tiny classes and they just have a handle method and so this is interesting to me though like i'm interested in seeing kind of what this what this does so it says it's a getter a pipes getter in the pipeline class instead of using the dollar sign pipes property directly Hmm. Um, so yeah, I'm going to take a look at that. The other thing that we've been doing, which is, this is crazy. I don't even know if I can explain it. It's basically monads, which I don't have to claim to know super well, but I can, I know I'm not going to try. You've, you've <laughs> You're shaking poorly. your head at me like, don't you've go there. You said, I don't know how to explain this. And then you said monads. And I think we really need to move on quickly. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I, I need to explain it off air sometime though, because it is pretty amazing. It's really cool. Yeah. It's it's hard to explain on air, so I won't try. But uh, yeah, I'll let you, maybe maybe in a, in a future episode we can talk about it. So maybe, okay, maybe maybe. All right. Next up, we have send notifications for exceptions with the notifiable exception package. So the notifiable exception uh, notifiable exception package is a package by Andrea Marco Satiori. And so this sends notifications for any particular exceptions that you want to. So for exceptions to be notifiable, you obviously have to install this package, but then they need to implement the package's notifiable interface and then the notifies trait. Uh, So you could have like a class urgent exception. It extends an exception, implements notifiable, and then use notifies. And then what you can do in that case is you could catch the notifiable exception and then you just dollar sign E, like for your exception, notify. And then you can handle all your notification logic in there. So it looks pretty interesting, actually. I've I've had a need like this in the past where in the case that I catch an exception, I need to, to send an email. I actually rolled my own kind of version of this um, in the past. But yeah, this looks really interesting. So yeah, cool stuff. 
Check that out if that's something that sounds interesting to you. We'll put that in the show notes. Okay, we have next uh, this sign-in with Apple for Laravel Socialite. Yeah, uh, this is this one is from Mike Bronner. And Laravel sign-in with Apple is a Socialite package for integrating with Apple's sign-in with Apple. The GitHub project has a setup guide that demonstrates the process as well as a handy-dandy video that walks you through the process. Once you've got your app set up with Apple, you can follow the readme's instructions on integrating the controller and button in your app. And there's a pretty simple example. It's just a, a blade directive. There's a at sign in with Apple. You give it a color, whether or not it has a border, what type it is, and a border radius. Um, as I said, there's a there's a 10 minute video that you can check out that goes through the process, and you can learn more about the package, get full installation instructions, and view the source code on GitHub. Uh, we'll have links to that in the show notes. Okay, so you might say to yourself, why? Why the sign-in with Apple thing? So first of all, is this new? Is this just out recently? I, yeah, I didn't sign in hear with about Apple. This. Sign in with Apple was announced at their WWDC this year and released as part okay. of iOS 13. When okay. you have, you know, billions of these devices out there, rather than having to come up with a, you know, using a an email address and a password for every new thing that you sign up with or using, God forbid, uh, Facebook or, or Google to log in, you can use sign in with Apple. Um, I believe there's some like weird developer restrictions around it if you're using it inside an app where if you're using sign in with a third-party service, you have to use sign in with Apple. But it, yeah, it's a new thing. It just signs in with the Apple ID. It will generate a random email address. Um, so the, the application that you're signing up with will get a random email address and that just acts as a forwarder to your actual address. So if the application ever needs to contact you, they'll only have like random letters and numbers at, you know, signin.apple.com or whatever. And that would then forward the email onto your actual Apple email address. So, you know, it gives that level of protection between yourself and the, the application you're signing up with, makes it really easy to get set up and running um, with with new apps. Yeah, it sounds pretty freaking awesome, really. Like... The because if you have like especially if you're going to have an app that's typically going to be mobile uh, or whatever, if you had sign in with Apple and sign in with Google, you could pretty much guarantee you know like if you're on an Android device and you click a sign in with Google thing, it already knows who your user is, and mm-hmm. so it'll just kind of handle that. And now you basically have the same thing for Apple. So so that's really nice. So it's basically just another OAuth provider, right? But uh, nice. it's, it seems like it's it seems like it's better for the users because it doesn't track users' activity. Or anything like that in the um, mm-hmm. in the Apple ID stuff, it gives you that uh, anonymity, right? And yeah. all accounts are protected with two-factor authentication for superior superior security. Mm-hmm. Um, the other cool thing is it works everywhere. It's native yeah. iOS, Mac OS, TV OS, Watch OS. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. Um, so that's a pretty. I, I don't know. It's it's a little bit. It's compelling. I might have to try that out. Yeah, I have to try that out. Looks really cool. Yeah. Thank you very much, Socialite. Um, Mike Bronner. Who is in? Mike Bronner. Mike Bronner. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks, Mike. Okay. Uh, next, we have a sponsor. <laughs> we do have a sponsor. So last week we talked about this as well, I guess two weeks ago. 
So our sponsor is Clubhouse.io. So Clubhouse.io is a project management platform built specifically for software teams. So it's not like a one size fits all sort of deal. It is specifically built for software teams. It provides the perfect balance of simplicity, but also gives you structure. So they've got a nice balance between something unstructured like Trello uh, and Asana, but it also has this organization in the power of something like Jira. Uh, So it gives you a fast, intuitive interface. Uh, A word that a lot of their customers use to describe Clubhouse is snappy. If you've ever had to deal with an app that is not quote unquote snappy, Mm. you know why that's a key phrase. Uh, None of us like to use software that is janky or slow to use. It feels like it's a huge waste of time. And so Clubhouse is not that. The entire company is very focused on UI and UX design. So it's a joy to use. Uh, So this makes it really easy for people to focus in on their work for a specific task or project. But it also gives people like managers and VPs the ability to zoom out and to see how work uh, is contributing towards the bigger picture. Uh, They've got all sorts of charts and graphs that your uh, higher ups are going to want to see. But it also allows you as a developer to be able to drill down and see exactly what you need to be working on today. In addition, it also has a simple API. It's got a lot of integrations. It's developer first. So they have a REST API that's very powerful uh, and easy to use. Uh, It also integrates with things like GitHub, Slack, Sentry. uh, And those are the ones that obviously in this audience are going to be really helpful. The nice thing about this, in addition to all of those wonderful features, is that you can try it out for two months for free with up to 10 users. So check that out at clubhouse.io slash Laravel. Thanks so much, Clubhouse, for sponsoring the show. You know what I like about Clubhouse? I don't like They say that it's snappy. And as someone that has to use a hosted Jira instance at work oh my gosh. in my day job, <laughs> please know. it is a dog's breakfast. It is so horrendously slow, whereas I've... I mean, I haven't put heaps of time or heaps of work into Clubhouse, but I have spun it up and just getting around the interface is even, you know, even for little old me down down here in Australia, it's it's really zippy. So um, they're not just saying for the sake of, you know, anything that it's that it's fast. It is really quick. Yeah, that it makes a massive difference. Massive, yeah. massive difference. Awesome. I love that. I mean, it's so nice that they have such a generous free tier as well, especially when you're trying to get a team onto something like this. It's hard to convince uh, a team to like pay for something straight up front or to get admins Mm -hmm. to like, you know, sign off on that. But if you can just kind of do it by yourself, like, hey, team, we're trying this Mm -hmm. Um, and you can do it for two months for with 10 people on your team. I mean, you can really get a good feel for it and see if it's going to be something that's going to work for you or not. Yeah. Um, So I like that. That's really handy. Sadly for me, I think I'm stuck with Jira because we were just our renewal is coming up and we've got 200 and 230 users in Jira. So we're probably going to have to stay there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, man. I hear you. There are some of those things that are just dogs. They're just like, you know, you get so tied down to them. There's really, it's really hard to cut those, <laughs> cut those attachments after yeah. a certain amount of time. Yeah. And that's what they're counting on, right? That's exactly what they're counting on. They get their hooks in deep. Nothing you can do about it. Yeah. Yep. Okay. The, Prompt users to log in when they have an expired session with the is auth package. So yes. um, this is interesting. A couple last week, I guess two weeks ago, we had one where we'd say, okay, there's a middleware that you can apply that will prompt a user to re-authenticate, right? To be clear, yep. this is not that. This is when a user is on your site 
and their session expires, you can think about like sometimes this happens like if you're if you're on your bank's website and you leave the website for 10 minutes, right? And your session expires, uh, you can then prompt them to type their password in and basically it will resurrect their session. Mm. So it's a control check to see if a user's session is dead before submitting their forms. If this, if, and maybe you've had this happen, maybe you haven't, but this has happened to my users before. We'll be sitting on a page for a while. They have the form filled out and then they go to press the submit button and they get an error, right? And you go end up looking in the telescope or whatever, whatever you, you know, logs are that you're using, whatever, and you get like a, CSRF token exception because their session has expired. The CSRF mm-hmm. token is no longer good. So what this will do is this will prompt them for their password if their session is dead. A modal prompts the user to log in. And then once they do that, it will then allow them to submit that form. And so this kind of gets around that problem of having these expired token problems. Mm-hmm. So this is really handy. This is something that I solved a couple different ways. One of them was like using a package called Caffeine, which would yep. uh, hit the uh, it would basically just keep the session alive right yeah so this this just kind of works around the other way which says don't bother until they try and submit a form and then once they submit a form go ahead and check to see if the session is dead and if it is go ahead and resurrect it using this so yeah cool yeah much much nicer i think than the caffeine approach rather than constantly pinging and keeping the session alive this gives you the security of well the session is going to expire and when it does we should prompt the user to log back in um, and and it and it does it in a nice way, like the the modal pop up that says you know you've expired, enter your password, rather than throwing you back to the login screen with because typically you don't get a, a message that says your session has expired. It just takes you back to the login screen, or you get the four nineteen error, which is even worse. So this is a nice one, and thanks 419. to four nineteen. That's the status yeah. code I was looking for. Yeah, yeah, I couldn't remember. Thanks, thanks to Omre Dippy for putting this together. Yeah, very cool. Okay, we've got this Laravel Postcodes. Talk about that a little bit. Indeed, I can. Laravel Postcodes is a service wrapper around postcodes.io. It is a package by Steve McDougall that provides a validation rule and a macro for validating postcodes. The package, uh, the package, as I said, uses the postcodes.io service, which is a free and source open API for looking up geocoded UK postcodes. So if you are in the UK, this is something to check out. There are three different ways to interact with postcodes using the package. First, you can use the provided validation rule. Second is a provided macro. So on the you've got a rule postcode macro. And then the third is the package defines a service for interacting with the API directly. So you can just call app postcode service and then get postcode directly from there. You can learn more about this package and get full installation instructions from the show notes. Very cool. Okay, the next package we have on the list is called Laravel Mix Preload. So this is a package by Sebastian Dedine and Spassi that adds preload and prefetch links based on your mix manifest file. So before we get too much further, what is preload and prefetch? So according to Andy Asmani, or Addy, I'm sorry, not Andy, Addy Asmani, uh, this is what he says. Preload is for resources that you have high confidence will be used in the current page. So you'd want to preload any of those resources. Prefetch is for resources that you are likely to use for future navigations across multiple navigation boundaries. So preload and prefetch. So what this will do is this looks at your mix manifest. And then you essentially have a little uh, directive, a little blade directive that is at preload. And what it'll do then is it will go ahead and prefetch and preload anything uh, according to your mix manifest file that it thinks should be preloaded or prefetched. 
So it's pretty, it's pretty interesting. I'm not exactly sure how it works. I haven't pulled back the, like the sheets on this thing to see what's like how this is determining when to prefetch and when to preload. Mm-hmm. Uh, it looks like according to the um, example here that it's prefetching CSS and preloading JavaScript. Uh, right. Preloading the JavaScript would make sense because you're definitely going to use that. And then mm-hmm. the prefetching the CSS would say, uh, this would be something that you may or may not use on this page. Maybe it's something you've used somewhere else. This is handy if you're doing chunking, right? If mm-hmm. you're if you're like chunking out your mix manifest stuff or you're uh, in your mix file, right? And so that you can not load everything up front, but you can just load the pieces that are going to be on a specific page yeah. and then kind of prefetch the rest of the ones that might not be mm-hmm. used on this one. Yeah, that's really interesting. It kind of takes out some of the work of having to do that manually. So thank you, Spassi and yeah. Sebastian. Good work. Beautiful. Next up, we have the route usage package for Laravel, which is a package by Julian Bordeaux that logs route usage for your Laravel apps. Logging routes with this package is an excellent way of figuring out which routes are not in use. So it goes in to say here that after a few years, any projects have dead code and unused endpoints. Typically, you remove a link in your front end and nothing ever links to that old special page. You want to remove it, but you're not sure. You have a look at the route usage table and figure out when this page was accessed for the last time. So once you install the package, you can see the route usage by visiting slash route dash usage in your application. This page is publicly accessible at the time of writing and it will log any 200 and 300 level response codes. And there is also a usage route console command, which provides you a nice table of output and will show you when a endpoint was last used. So if you have deprecated something, you know, you've got people that have got pages bookmarked, if you're not redirecting them or whatever else, eventually they will stop using that. And you can just go in there and say, all right, this is no longer used. It's gone. Get rid of the controllers, get rid of the models that, that were referenced in there, get rid of the route definition, all that. So it's a really handy thing to keep tabs of your application and uh, things that are or aren't being used in it. Yeah, very cool. I've not, I'm trying to think, I've had a couple projects really where I've just left the routes in there or like done redirects because I wasn't positive they were being used or not, right? Mm -hmm. It would have been handy to have something like that to check to see, come back in six months or whatever and be like, what was used, what's never been used, go ahead and clean up the old ones. Yeah. Okay. Uh, in addition uh, to those things, I think one of the last items we have on the list here is a quick reminder by everyone's favorite human, Mr. Paul Redmond, about the Laravel notification channels. Uh, so the Laravel notification channels is a collection of custom notification drivers for Laravel. If you were not aware of this, Laravel has what are called notifications. So you can have things that are notifiable. Typically, there'd be something like a user and then you can uh, set it to say, I'm going to do this notification and here are the types of channels I want to push this notification to. So it could be mail, it could be SMS, could be Twitter, could be Telegram, could be Slack, could be any of these different types of channels that you would have on this notification. Uh, so the Laravel notifications channel uh, has, I think, 40 curated notification channels that are ready for your use in your Laravel application. In addition to that, they also have a skeleton repo for creating a new notification channel. So if it's not present on the existing site, you can go ahead and add it. And they have instructions on how to do that. So some, uh, I mean, quick example of, of what they have. They have push, web push. Uh, so they have like push bullet, push over. These are like for push notifications on your phone. Mm-hmm. They have messenger chat social, so like Discord, Facebook, Twitter, Telegram. 
they have SMS and VoIP. They have to-do lists. Like you can push to Trello as a notification. Uh, they have all sorts of stuff on here. And in, in, in addition to having documentation, how you install those, how you get them set up with the ENVs, they also have like testing. Like how do you test this? So it looks pretty interesting. And uh, yeah, I mean... We've used this before. We've used we've gone to the site, browsed it, and found things that we yeah. needed in order to be able to implement in our projects. So yeah, definitely mm-hmm. recommend it. Really good stuff. Nice. Okay. I think that is the show. I think that's that everything. Is, that's all of it. All right. That's everything. Thank you everybody so much for tuning in. This was episode one of five. If you liked it, feel free to rate it up in your podcatcher of choice or share it with your friends. We always appreciate that. And then, of course, if you have any questions, feel free to hit us up at Michael Dorinda, at Jacob Bennett, at Laravel News. You can find show notes for this episode at laravel-news.com slash podcast slash 105. Yeah. All of the things have Ta-da. been hit perfectly. First time, I look forward to seeing everybody at Laracon on Thursday, uh, four days out from the time of this recording, probably two days out by the time it's released. We did just announced that we are doing After Dark. We were umming and ahhing about it, but we've locked it in. So we'll be back for our after party on the Thursday night. We've got lots of prizes, lots of giveaways, lots of good times with friends new and old, and lots of excellent speakers. I just heard from J-Mac, who is in the sky at the moment, flying on his way um, using that magical internet in the sky. Uh, He actually managed to watch us live. So... Looking forward to seeing him. He's coming oh, down cool. with his partner. Got, you know, Freke and Marcella coming over, Marcus Moore, and a whole host of local, talented, very, very talented speakers. Lots of first-time speakers as well. So really looking forward to a great event and seeing you all there. Awesome. Thanks, everybody. We will see you in two weeks. Adios. Bye-bye.